Zach, you're a car owner. <laughs> so are you. We both own cars. You would say that you own the best car. I love I love being a Kia Soul guy. <laughs> I drive a Kia Soul. I'm not really partial to like Kia or the brand. It's a good car. Yeah. It's one time I had to like change the battery and it's just weird. Like it's so in there. Like all the it's it's like a European car or something. So it's like it's metric. So like oh, so it's a foreign. Just, yeah, she's. I whipped the foreign. It's a foreign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. As a car owner, you drive. Yeah. I I do almost. I would say almost every day, unless yeah. there's snow or ice on the ground, yeah. as there has been in Texas. And uh, this is, I guess, today is the great thaw of 2021. <laughs> Honestly, the uh, the uh, oven, what, what microwave oven has been yeah, turned the defrost, on here. The defrost. defrost. I mean, it's literally 72 degrees. My watch is telling me it was. I mean, what a week ago it was nine. Yeah, I mean, lower, not even. I mean, below, like nine a couple below. days ago it was 20. It's crazy. Degrees. That's Texas for Unbelievable. you. Unbelievable. Anyway, we are both car owners. Yes. And as a car owner, you drive. I'm, and I'm, yeah. A lot of you in the audience are like, How, you're reading my mail, Coop. You're <laughs> describing me. I'm a car owner and I drive. Yeah. I know. I know. All He's right. no profit, but sometimes he does get things right. <laughs> That's right. And as a car owner, I care about my car. I don't want it to get destroyed. Of course. One, because it's a Kia Soul. It's a foreign. Two, it's a foreign. Yeah. <laughs> Two, it's uh, I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> That's true. And when I'm driving my car, there's yeah. a couple things that I look for on the road. Okay. And if I'm driving next to a car that is damaged, yeah, out of the I am going to shift my lane. Move. Move. And it could even be like rear-ended. Like it wasn't yeah. even their fault. It's not personal. I just simply do not trust you. Yeah. And yeah, you just can't risk it. Even no. if it is the back bumper, you might have backed into something. Mm. It may not be your fault. Right. But I just can't trust you anymore. Because you have nothing to lose. Yeah. Your car is already damaged. <laughs> yeah. If so you get hit again, it might be total and you make money. It doesn't bother you if you if you hurt it more. And I it bothers me if my car gets hurt. <laughs> so when I'm driving, I just I like this like meter goes off where I'm like, I feel unsafe and I look to my right and it's just like the the blah, 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 like the, the metal <laughs> side of the car to my right is just flapping in the wind right. and I'm just right. respectfully put on my blinker and turn the just lap. move another line over. Yeah, but actually, Zach, as I was driving earlier, uh, like a day or two ago. I uh I had the most like weird five minute drive. Okay. Like I I could have gotten in a wreck three times. Are you serious? Five minute drive and none of them five were my minutes. fault. Wow. So you're a good driver. I'm a good driver. You whip the foreign. I whip the foreign so, like it's my job. <laughs> tell me about these three interactions. Yeah. So I was leaving. I believe I was leaving a Chick Fil A. Well, which is pretty blessed. Pretty blessed. <laughs> and I was I was leaving a Chick Fil A. And I'm driving, and it was one of those things where it's like there's like a like a suit Walmart or something, and there's like a lot of stuff that kind of share a parking lot, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I was in the Chick Fil A, and I had to drive on this like not road to get to the real road. You know what I mean? Where there's like a, <laughs> there's like a couple stores that wait, all wait, wait. share this a not side road. road. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, but it's in the parking lot. I see. And as I'm driving, I've exited the Chick Fil A parking lot. This person that I'm about to describe, there's no way they eat Chick Fil A. They're not pre blessed. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, they were leaving something else, and I'm like going at responsible speed, and they are not like perpendicular to me, which that would be something that makes a right angle for yeah. all you math yes. kids out there. Yes. That was not them, killer. but they were essentially diagonally. So right. we were both driving towards the same spot, but they didn't see me. And so they're just barreling down this diagonal lane. And I mean, if I would have kept going, I would have been sideswiped. Yikes. And I was like, I was just, you know, when you're just dumbfounded you're by other people's lack of awareness. Yeah. That's where I was. I was like, okay, like I, I don't know. I didn't get upset. Right. But Did I it mess like, up I'm, your waffle fries? Did you have to no, slam on your brake I didn't or have to slam because I was going at responsible speed oh, okay. where I was able to break. Right. Yeah. Right. But that was the first thing. And I was like, okay, that was weird. Yeah. 
like could have gotten a wreck there, but then they went and they turned right. Then I go out, I turn right. And I mean, lit, I mean, my drive is literally, I probably passed two, two red lights, like mm-hmm. two like stoplights and then passed under a highway and then was basically home. Like yeah. I, there was very little driving that took place, but as I'm driving, I turn right. And then I get into the middle lane and I'm driving and there's this car going slow in my lane, but pe- cars are going past me on the right and the left. So right. Change lanes. And this car literally brake checks me. <laughs> like it's already going get off my tail. It's going like 30 miles an hour. And they just hit their brakes for literally no reason. Yeah. And they so probably like, saw the brakes, Kia logo. I, so much so that I honk. Whoa. Like I honked and I was like, bro, what is wrong I'm with here. you? <laughs> We've already talked about it. Before. I know. I'm, honks, I'm so the, for honks. Honks are good. It's if good, you're it's in my tool. way, you're going to cause me to wreck. And our cars will collide. I will honk. And so you can should thank me for yeah, it. We're, we're just, it's maybe a slight damage to your pride, but yeah. it's no longer a damage to your car. That's right. And so as I'm going, I, I'm brake checked by this guy. And because I'm like looking behind the car behind me has to slam on the brakes. Yeah. And it's like, there's literally nothing in front of this car. Mm. And so I get, I get over, I honk and then I get over oh, at the no. next little option. Cause I'm like, just, Hey, be aware. There's people on the road <laughs> driving. I'm whipping the foreign. I mean, he probably saw the Kia logo in his rearview mirror and was like, whoa, this guy's like, it's a foreign going way too fast. Coming up on my bumper. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he probably thought I was rich because I'm whipping (laughs) You are. You are. I mean, Zach, I'm rich. (laughs) What look did he give you as you passed Uh, him? So he was unfazed and probably 97 years old. (laughs) Which would be an elderly person. Yes. Unlike 60, like last week. Yeah. Your mom actually texted us to clarify, (laughs) Miss Dawn, thank you for keeping us honest. Of course. You're in your late 50s and uh, lower 60s. You're actually young. Yeah. You are young and spry. It's the new 20. You haven't peaked yet. That's right. You have so much life to live. (laughs) anyway so i was like i was really just jostling yeah you're rattled yeah because i like pull up to the light and now i'm at the stoplight i look over this man's just so old unaware yeah it's okay maybe you can forget take the test buddy and (laughs) i just didn't feel safe using the road right anyways then i turn right at the next light and i am (laughs) behind a just biker like Mm. a just a bike like a person riding a bike in the middle lane to go under a highway on like a road. It's like a 40 mile per hour speed limit. Uh, and this biker's in the middle lane. So unfortunate. And it's a stoplight. So everyone's accelerating to go past me. Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, this biker's just. Oh, <laughs> like he's you know, taking ever to forever to get going. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a, I'm training for a triathlon type of biker. It was like a, this is my Sunday stroll. Like mm. it didn't look like a road bike or a speed bike. It was they like, had a basket. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was a basket and they were wearing like just clothes. And I'm like, <laughs> just what? I'm glad they're wearing clothes. I'm, yeah. But I just like jeans and a shirt. And yeah. it's like, you're in the middle lane of a 40 mile an hour road. Yeah. Like, please at least go far right or stay in your neighborhood. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so I was like, I was just, I was finally past the, past the biker to right. my right and pulled off. And like got to my house and I was just like, did you have to do some processing when you got there? I was just like, this is the most back to back to back notable instances of driving, you know, Mm. because sometimes you're driving and you're like, oh, snap, I'm driving right now. You know, (laughs) you're like, oh, I'm I'm going 60 miles an hour (laughs) with a at least a thousand pound vehicle in a foreign someone could die. Yeah. Yeah. Were you like. I, it wasn't one of those where you just zone out and you're, right. dri- you're driving. Like I saw an Instagram reel of that. I, think, I did. Where like, I think I sent it to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big Instagram reel guys. But it's, it was hilarious. It's the guy who's like, have you ever just like been driving and then you realize you're driving? Yeah. And it's this guy just like 
kind of white knuckles the wheel and just <laughs> kind of shifts up in his seat. Yeah. I've been that guy. This was not one of those instances. Weird. Every time I was reminded, hey, this is a dangerous game I'm playing. Right yeah. Now. I think it was just the Lord telling you, hey, pay attention. That's You're right. You're driving. I'm a good driver. You, Yeah. I yeah. But I'm thinking maybe I just go sell my car, the foreign. And wow. You'd make a lot of money. <laughs> and I invest in a bike with a basket. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during the Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, the biker gang with a basket, Coop McCullough. How are we doing, Coop? Ring, ring. On your right. <laughs> I have your groceries. I'm pull it, pulling through on your right. <laughs> There's just that. streamers on the back wheel. <laughs> and uh, on the handles. Yeah, exactly. Just streaming out. Yeah. yeah that, I don't know. Yeah. Her name was probably Cassandra or something. <laughs> I don't know her. Monica doesn't ride a bike. She's not. She so. she she whips a foreign. She lot. does because she makes a lot of money she helping does. us out with this podcast. We're a huge fan of Monica. We are. But I'm also a huge fan of the guy we have on the podcast today, Ooh, Cooper. Oh, that's a good transition. Look at that. This is Dr. John Fleming. Now, a lot of doctors that we have on the podcast or they have letters behind their name, whether mm. it be EDD, in PhD, in front of being doctor mm-hmm. or Mr. or Mr. Mrs. Yeah. No, no shame. He has an MD on the back of his name. That stands for medical doctor. That means he can cut you open and scalpel your (laughs) intestines so that they work better. While saving your life. That's true. At the same time. That's implied. I don't don't imagine he's going to scalpel my intestines (laughs) unless it's necessary. Yeah. Well, he started out as a medical doctor. And then he started running businesses in the town in Louisiana, which Mm. is where he was from. Then he ran for Congress. Oh. So he was a congressman for so Louisiana. So he worked on congressmen's intestines? <laughs> no, he wasn't the congress he doctor. He probably didn't ever deal with intestines. I don't know why. I'm, yeah, I'm I don't know what kind of doctor he I'm was. I'm just going to let the joke die. I'm going to yeah. let the joke go, <laughs> We're not going to save that one. But, and then, his most recent job was in the White House with Donald Trump on the Coronavirus Task Force. He was the assistant to the president for planning and implementation and deputy chief of staff. I mean, he had more problems in one day than <laughs> I probably had in all of 2020. Especially, he had more problems in one day than you had in your car right over. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But so he had a really cool insight into the coronavirus task force yeah. whenever COVID first came over and how we handled it. So that's what I wanted to talk to him about. If you are in a leadership position, you can expect crisis yep. and you can expect people to look at you when crisis hits. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to talk about today is how do leaders handle crisis? How do they make decisions and how do they inform the people that they're leading on the decisions that are being made and how we're going to handle what's in front of us? Yeah. And that's what every leader is going to have to face. Yeah. And what I would imagine is that every decision he made was wildly and enthusiastically endorsed by every American. <laughs> and that's another part of it too. <laughs> Not every decision you make is going to be wildly endorsed that's by right. people. And you're going to have to stick with your value, know your moral compass, where you want to go and why you're making that decision make it and don't look back i've heard it said zach from actually todd wagner our okay. pastor he our says, pastor leadership is a commitment to being misunderstood i love that it's a good quote it's, and this, and it's this man had probably been uh misunderstood from time to time he had and the people he worked with were definitely misunderstood yeah but that's why we want to learn from him that's why we want to learn how to lead during a crisis like we are in right now yeah and in crisis and times of crisis we need great leaders and we need great people to stand up. And whether you agree with the coronavirus task right. force or what, what was enacted, I think we both know there's things to learn from leaders that have made decisions. Totally. And so this is a very non-apolitical podcast yeah. or episode, especially. Uh, we're just learning how to lead during a crisis. This yeah. is a leader who led and we want to learn from him. And That's there's right. a lot to learn. So without further ado, Cooper, here he is. The MD himself. That's right. Dr. John Fleming.
Well, Dr. Fleming, it's an honor to get to talk to you. I would love for you to just start by introducing yourself. You have quite the career to walk through, but I would love for you just to introduce yourself. Who are you and how do you get to where you are today? Grew up in a very uh, middle class, really working class home and uh, decided at age 11. I, first of all, I accepted uh, Jesus Christ as my savior, as well as uh, deciding that the career for me was one day was going to be a doctor. And uh, I was inspired by my grandmother, who was an LPN nurse, uh, who would tell all these very interesting, fascinating stories about her hospital experiences. So uh, I felt like that that was really for me. I could help people. Uh, I would need to know science, which I love. And, um, and, and so, uh, uh, and certainly uh, uh, there, there's a lot of prestige uh, and, and honor being a physician. Right. Uh, people think highly of doctors even today. And so um, I set out to do that and had to work very hard. Uh, my dad died when I was uh, 17, just graduating from high school mm. and uh, left uh, my disabled mom and my, me and my little brother and sister. Uh, and so I had to work my way through college. And uh, then I got accepted to medical school and uh, the United States Navy came out, well, actually the military itself came out with a program just at that time that provided scholarships to young medical students. And I was, I'm pretty sure I'm the first one who signed up for that program that we have even today. It's called the Health Profession Scholarship Program. Wow. So if, uh, if the uh, Navy or Air Force have ever put you through school, then you pledged to practice medicine in the military for a period of time. Uh, of course, I never told them this, but I would have done it anyway. Right. Uh, but I was sure glad they put me through med school because I ran out of money yeah. after my first semester. That's quite a blessing. <laughs> Absolutely. It just seems like it with, with every, every problem and every obstacle and every turn, uh, the good Lord is there to uh, bring you through it. So, um, so after medical school, I uh, chose to go into family medicine, did a three-year residency while I was in the Navy, and uh, became board certified, remain board certified today, and then uh, gave the Navy three more years of service. Uh, so I was stationed in such places as Camp Pendleton, California, a Marine base, mm. um, Guam for two years, and then one year at Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, so I decided to set up my own medical practice. I wanted to go into private practice. In 1982, brought my little family to a small town in North Louisiana called Minden mm. and uh, began a practice there. In 1985, began to launch a set of businesses that uh, are still in existence today, mainly in retail, franchising, uh, and other related type businesses in real estate. And I have a team that, that, that manages that for me. Uh, but I practiced medicine and was happy to do it for a number of years. And then in 2008, made the decision to run for Congress. And I was concerned about the direction of our nation, mm. which then was, uh, I think, going too far to the left and too far away from the Lord. Mm. I would say uh, fast forward to today, and I think it's even further in the wrong direction than it was right. then. So I witnessed a lot of things that's happened and worked to try to realign the direction of this great nation who were founded by very godly men um, who were 
trying to implement, I think, God's will in the leadership of our nation. Anyway, uh, so I ran for Congress, got elected, and served for eight years. And after uh, finishing that, I actually had ran for Senate, uh, but didn't get elected. So I joined the Trump administration in, in uh, Health and Human Services, served there for two years in health IT, uh, talk, learning about and, and working on uh, how computers talk to each other and how we can uh, use them to be better tools in healthcare, because healthcare is like far behind the rest of the country right. and the rest of the economy when it comes to the use of technology. So then uh, I was uh, nominated and uh, confirmed by the Senate to serve in the Department of Commerce as Assistant Secretary for Economic Development. Uh, calling upon my business background for that. I served that as a year, for a year. And then um, President Trump appointed me to um, assist it to the president for planning and implementation in the West Wing of the White House. I was actually uh, co-located with the president. Uh, uh, so if you look at the alignment of our offices, there was the vice president, there was the chief of staff, there was me. I was essentially the deputy chief of staff. Right. Uh, Jared Kushner next to me, and then next to him on the other side uh, was the Oval Office. Mm. So it was pretty pretty neat experience for ten months. Not bad. You get up in the morning and shave, knowing that you're going to work in the best office building in the world. Mm. And uh, and so I feel very privileged to have that opportunity to do that. So while I was there for ten months. Uh, obviously, I was uh, very closely involved with the coronavirus task force. Right. We met at least once a week, sometimes two or three times a week. And with with all the great uh, notable icons that, that you, you know, I'm sure have seen and read about right. uh, solving Americans uh, problems with this pandemic, uh, calling upon the uh, the uh, Defense Department to assist us and FEMA and others and uh, working our way through this. Uh, but we also dealt with many other things, how we uh, deregulate, because regulations were really standing in our way, mm. and how we implement um, the distribution of vaccine, how we develop the vaccine, getting it out in record time. Uh, many of those issues, which any of them I'll be happy to go into, right. uh, but that's really what I did. I had a very busy 10 months. Mm, it's, it's just an amazing career, and you cover so many things that we could talk about, whether it's medicine, economic development, business, the just the policy side of being in the house. But I want to go back first and talk about two things that you had mentioned. You, you first mentioned that your father passed away when you were 17. How did that impact you going into college and going into your professional life? Well, I grew up fast, Zach. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was only 43. Mm. And um, I think about other families that I've seen over the years uh, that lose, loses a key a member of the family, you know, a father or a mother, and still with small children and the economic impact of that. Uh, but look, in America, even today, uh, there are plenty of solutions for those kind of problems. So my word to young people today who may be up against that or any other obstacle uh, look, you can do it. You got to put your brains to it. You got to be willing to work hard. I've worked two, three jobs, part-time jobs, odd jobs along the way. Um, but it was well worth it. I was benefited from it and strengthened by it. 
and so um, I felt the, the Lord was by my side the whole time. I, I never felt abandoned. And, um, and so uh, don't just give up and don't rely on government uh, to, to solve your problems. You can solve them. You've got a, a tremendous array of options out there. Uh, programs, uh, you've got, in fact, the ability to borrow money if you need to borrow money uh, is, is there more than ever. And uh, also, again, there's work if you want to put your mind to it. Uh, so, um, but I, I, I came up with a plan. It's important to develop a plan. How are you going to reach your goal and how are you going to financially achieve that goal? And also, how can you achieve it in a cost-effective way? One of the biggest problems I see in uh, among youth today is they think that they've got to borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to college. Right. And look, there are a lot of options out there because I do see young people coming out of school, both at the bachelor's level, but also at the master's and the doctorate level that come out with such huge debt that when time comes to form a family, you can't buy a house because you have more debt than, than it would be for a house, for a mortgage on a house. So look, you can go to community college, get your first two years in there, get those credits done before you go to maybe a state university or a private to get your finished degree. Uh, you can uh, you could certainly do time in the military, both active duty and uh, uh, as a reservist and use the GI Bill. You can work part time. You can live at home and go to a local university. Uh, I know everybody wants the college experience, and that's right. great. Uh, but uh, again, just you know, be practical about it. Uh, try not to get yourself in too much debt. Some debt's okay, yeah. but don't overextend yourself. And then secondly, make sure, even if you have your heart set on something, that there isn't much career potential. You know, perhaps... Uh, you want to pursue music or art or you know something like that, that's great. But it can be hard to make a living at some of those things. So also uh, get, get either technical training or a finished degree in something where you can get a good job. So there's nothing wrong with having a law degree and a music degree. Right. Nothing wrong with getting an accounting degree and uh, an art degree. Nothing at all wrong with that. So you're going to be much better positioned out there to compete for jobs and to create your own business if you choose to do that. It's great advice for, for young people looking to the long term of how things are going to benefit you. The last thing I want to talk about on kind of your story, and you mentioned you running for Congress because you saw our country moving away from the Lord. And this is something that is really scary for me and watching my generation generation grow up and, and running away from the Lord. And I think it's really damaging our country and it's really damaging our young people. So what would you say in that effect to what we need to do to course correct back as a country to focus on our creator? Absolutely. Well, going back to the founding fathers, they were godly men. Mm -hmm. um, the, the constitution and this experiment in a, a republic democracy uh, was really their idea, but it was based on uh, really uh, a thousand years uh, of evolution from Western Europe, mainly Great Britain with the Magna Carta and all of these things. And the laws that were generated from that are all based on biblical law. Right. Ten Commandments are the absolute cornerstone of our legal system today. 
And so, um, again, that's why our founders said that, that our rights come from God, not from government. Mm-hmm. And we have been moving towards um, really the worship of government and that our rights come from government. Uh, and the idea now today is more of an atheistic idea where you just get the best minds, you know, the academics, the smartest people, right. and you hand over to them your personal rights and let them tell you how to live. Well, that's the way they do it in China. And of course, in China, uh, they have, there is no democracy. Uh, and what you have is people are assigned a social score. And the way you move up, your upward mobility is dependent on um, how, how much you worship the government. The gov- you know, as long as you uh, support and align with the, the, their federal government, uh, then you're rewarded. But on the other hand, when it comes to your own personal rights or rights of people around you, uh, such things as free speech, speech and access to, to uh, uh, transparency and information, right. uh, all that is given up. And I would just submit to you that that's a totalitarian state. It's a dystopia. And I don't think Americans want to live in that. But unfortunately, there are many young people today we really see that as an ideal, mm-hmm. uh, that socialism is the way of the future. But nation after nation has gone down, going in that direction. Uh, Venezuela today um, is probably the poorest country, not only in Latin America, but perhaps in the entire world. Yep. They're awash in, in natural resources, such as oil. They were among the richest Latin American countries only a decade or so ago. So it just goes to show you how the abandonment of God and the embracement of government and atheism uh, can totally destroy a civilization. And so people are leaving. uh, Doctors are abandoning the country. It's hard to get health care. Women flee to have babies even to nearby countries. It's just an absolute disaster. So uh, I just don't see that as a goal, particularly after uh, 225 plus years of tremendous success with this democracy. Well, I agree. And I'm one of the young people that want to stand up for our, our rights and, and what we have and continue for. But I wanted to get your, your opinion on that. Now, I want to kind of move into the crisis leadership side. Uh, the past 10 months that you've been in the White House have been a pretty crazy 10 months for our country and for our world because of the COVID pandemic. And you got you mentioned that you were a part of all the, the COVID task force meetings and you got to meet with them and meet with the president on what we're going to do as the leader of, of the free world as, as this pandemic is coming towards us. So I kind of want to go behind the doors at at the first moment that you knew that this was coming over, the first kind of coronavirus task force meeting, what was said, what was discussed, and how did you guys plan for how you could tell the people? Well, let's let's, uh, examine how we we as a government found out about the pandemic. Uh, It actually came through the National Security Council, uh, where there's an individual on the council high-ranking individual uh, who had actually, uh, who actually speaks Chinese, who's very close to some uh, people who are actually leaders of freedom in China. And uh, they called him up. This must have been about January or February of 2020 and said, I know you're hearing that there's really nothing to this, um, this, this uh, epidemic that's going on in Wuhan. 
Uh, but let me tell you, people are dying right and left. Notable doctors have died. Uh, it is a very dangerous uh, thing and it's extremely contagious and you need to be begin preparing for it. And so he spoke with the, uh, the NSC, spoke with the president. The president immediately shut down travel from Wuhan and China in general. And uh, ultimately that proved to be the right thing, although it was politically unpopular at the time. Right. And the president was soundly uh, criticized for doing that. Uh, but nonetheless, it was so uh, it was so contagious that it eventually made its way to our shores. Uh, but look, we had nothing for this. There was nothing in place. Mm. Uh, we had uh, there's there was no test for it. There was no treatment for it. Uh, and the one thing that we could do, which was to create barriers such as, you know, the PPP, the personal protective uh, products that were necessary. We had, we were, they were in very, very limited and short supply. And so uh, we had to go to work. So the president activated uh, the Defense Production Act, which is rarely done, and put billions and billions of dollars uh, behind certain companies, private companies, to build such things as ventilators for patients who would need them and uh, all, many other uh, medical devices and so forth. Uh, so I wasn't there at the very first uh, coronavirus task force meeting, uh, but I was there within the first two or three weeks that they began to meet. And it was led by Vice President Pence, who I think did a wonderful job. Mm. And of course, around the table were the major leaders from Health and Human Services and FEMA uh, and the military as well. And uh, so... Uh, the president, uh, the, the vice president coordinated this under the direction of the president in order to come up with solutions. But really, the first goal was to slow the spread. And that's why we shut the, the, the nation down, essentially, first for 15 days and then another 30 days. And it was done for one reason and one reason only. Zach, can never forget this. It was to prevent the healthcare system from being totally overwhelmed right. so that doctors would have to triage people. That is... To, to select people to die because we couldn't treat them. But we never had to do that because by shutting the, the country down, we were able to uh, spin up our healthcare system in a way that we could respond. But then once that happened, we began to open up. And from that point on, people had access to masks, people had access to good healthcare, uh, a good uh, treatment products such as the monoclonal antibodies, and uh, remdesivir as well as dexamethasone and many other good treatments came online very rapidly and were approved by FDA. And it was, it was not necessary to right. keep this country shut down for a year because we had ways of staying safe and still conducting life. And so that hopefully gives you some color. And of course there were disagreements and there were debates, uh, but look, everybody on the task force uh, were tr tremendous, uh, experienced, highly trained uh, scientists. And they, they did a, a magnificent job. Were they perfect? Did they make mistakes? Of course they made mistakes, but they got the job done.
Yes, they did. And I, I kind of want to talk about the disagreements because you're in a room with very high ranking officials, but also very smart people and everyone has their own opinions. And when two people who are very smart have differing opinions, it can be hard to discern which way to go. And there's hard decisions that had to be made. For example, let's take the lockdowns because there's a lot of economic damage that can happen with a lockdown. But in order to save our hospital system, it must be done. So as a leader, when you look at those decisions, that are very ethical and you have to think about it's going to hurt this person, but we have to save this person. What kind of goes on in your mind when you're making those decisions? Um, it's a, it's a, it's a cost versus benefit. And when I say cost, I don't mean dollars. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about cost to society uh, because there were no dollars spared. Yeah. I mean, we've spent trillions and trillions of dollars and still money. we're going to spend more. Uh, but you see, you hear about young people committing suicide because of isolation. You hear about kids who were doing, performing well in school who no longer perform well in school. So there is a cost when you shut down society. Uh, there's a cost to businesses. People go bankrupt. People go broke. People lose everything they have. So we, we in the Trump administration tried to strike a balance. And so... Uh, uh, and, and also from a healthcare standpoint as to whether we would, should wear masks, what kind of treatments were appropriate and when they were appropriate, we started out with no data. So you got a lot of smart doctors, but if they have no data, they can only guess about the decisions. Hmm. But we worked our way through that. They did studies and so forth and found out masks are helpful, but they're not the end-all be-all. Social distancing is helpful, but it's not the final solution. Um, and, and so as we worked our way through this, we got better and better at finding ways to keep schools open, to keep businesses open, to keep restaurants available, um, so that people could return to somewhat of a normal life. Uh, I would say a near normal or artificial normal until we, um, could have vaccines widely distributed, mm -hmm. which is, we're in the process of doing that now yep. and in this pandemic completely. Yeah. And I, I commend you all for your job. You've done a wonderful job. And here in Texas, we're pretty open, just kind of wearing masks and living a, a pretty normal life, which is great. But uh, we're hoping to be completely normal pretty soon. And I kind of want to talk about when crisis strikes, the, the responsibility of leadership and, and really in communicating. Because when you have something strike and, and you have to be real with the people that you're leading, but you also want to be optimistic. So as a leader, how do you balance the realism that the this is the effect that this is going to happen, have, it's going to hurt a lot of people, but also we can be optimistic and say, we can do this together. What's the balance there? Well, that is a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I would tell you that I look back to uh, someone that you, 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 uh, uh, that, that really died before you and I, even I was born and that's FDR, mm -hmm. uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yeah. Uh, he sat with us through the great depression he sat with us uh, through World War II, and look, he was a Democrat, and, and, and I don't agree with much of his politics, right. but he really calmed the nation. He did what's called fireside chats on radio, because they didn't have TV in those days, and people would listen, uh, and he would reason with them and ration, and he would tell them that, um, that we just have to stay committed to our goals, and then we would get past those calamities and those problems and that America would be restored. So I think that's what uh, President Trump and President, uh, Vice President P 
Pence tried to do and many others is to calm the nation. You know, uh, humans, uh, it's a funny thing about humans. Uh, they're very afraid of things they don't know and understand. But once you educate them, they begin to relax and they begin to calm and they begin to work with the program. So mm -hmm. that's much of what we did. I went on TV and did inter interviews and I would tell people, you know, back in the fall, I would say, we're going to have vaccines by the end of the year and you can, you can book it. And sure enough, we did. However, uh, we didn't have nearly enough uh, and still don't have enough, but we're getting there. So uh, we're just, you know, reassuring people that if you'll just be calm, be careful, don't be reckless, especially if you are a high risk individual in terms of age or comorbid conditions, right. then um, you're going to be okay. And so um, we've had the unfortunate loss of life, of course, uh, but that, that happens with pandemics. And this is not the, the first pandemic we've had in this nation. It's not the last one. That's right. And FDR, as you as you said, is the one who, who I think it was in his inaugural address that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And that reminder and, and the fireside chats of walking through those situations with the people he's leading, I think, brought a lot of clarity and a lot right. of calmness to me. And, and President Trump, uh, you know, would go on TV for two, yep. almost three hours sometimes telling people where we were, where we're going and all that. And I think that was very calm and very calming. Unfortunately, politics did get into a lot of those discussions right. and that was disrupted. Yeah, we'll talk about that even. What, how, how can we separate those issues? Because I think um, as a country, as a whole, we've kind of missed it, an opportunity with the pandemic. I feel like we had an opportunity to really come together because you, you, what bring people together is either a common goal or a common enemy. And together we had a common enemy. Um, but how do leaders rally people around something and say, this is, we can all fight against this together. And did we miss that opportunity with this pandemic? Um, Zach, I, you know, and I apologize for getting a little political in this answer, but I really sincerely believe what I'm going to tell you. Okay. Um, really in the last 10 to 15 years, uh, the Democrat party and the left in general uh, has tried to contour and massage facts and truth uh, in order to support uh, whatever their political sort of uh, issue of the day is. Right. And so that has really changed the media in general. So now we don't have media outlets anymore for the most part. We have propaganda outlets. Right. And, is, and so the more certain me forms of media move to the left and push their own sort of political point of view, you have those uh, on the conservative side that do the same. Yeah. And so it's hard for many people who just want to know the correct answers. They just want to know the truth. It's hard for them sometimes to know who to believe. And I do think that, that, that we have reached that point and it really uh, got very much involved in this pandemic mm -hmm. that you had some people that said, well, we've got to give everybody hydroxychloroquine. Right. And others said, no, hydroxychloroquine has no effect. And you had others that said we should wear masks, but then you had others who said, no, we shouldn't wear masks. And it, it became a, a political point of view and a political statement where people would want to be seen with masks or not want to be seen with masks. And uh, somehow uh, this nation has got to get back to truth 
and to, to, I mean, I come from a science background. I believe data, you know, what I see in right. front of me, obviously I have faith, uh, but my faith is in, is, is in a higher power, is in God. But when it comes to truth, I want to see data. I want to actually see somebody study it and tell me what the results are. And uh, we're in a political environment today that has moved far away from that. And uh, somehow we need to move back so people can know who to trust and believe. I totally agree. And I think it's sad to watch something like a mask become so politicized. And that, that was actually my next question for you is the balance of telling people what to do versus also recognizing their agency and recognizing their personal responsibility and empowering them to take responsibility for their actions. Because right. I think a lot of people wanted the government to say, everyone must wear a mask if you're outside. But in reality, it's not their place to do that if, if we get down to it. So how do you balance that? T telling people to be safe, but also encouraging them to be smart. Um, this is, I think, um, the... Uh, the place that, that informs us of, of what really works in that. And that is that in 1969, the Surgeon General came out and said that smoking is bad for your health, that it could cause cancer and lung disease and all of that. Uh, whereas for decades before, even for 100 or 200 years, people not only didn't think smoking would hurt you, they thought it actually was good for you. Right. Um, but as more and more data came out and, and we saw that this was very true, uh, it wasn't laws that were placed that said, don't smoke or you're gonna go to jail. That's not what uh, cut the smoking rates down. What cut the smoking rates down was informing the public mm -hmm. so that a well-informed, a well-educated public as to the facts made those decisions for themselves. And the same is true with masks and gloves uh, washing hands and social distancing, rather than having mandates, it makes sense to say to people uh, that first of all, if you are in the vulnerable population, you're over 65, or you have uh, diabetes, hypertension, or any of those kind of conditions, you need to be very, very careful. Hmm. And if you're not in that group, you need to be very protective of those who are. And as a result of that, the smart thing to do if you care about your health and care about the health of others that you love and society in general is use, uh, use just common sense. Yeah. Wear a mask if you're close to people or if you're in a closed room. Uh, wash your hands if you handle things, handle people. Uh, be very careful about uh, you know, how you uh, deal with other people who may be susceptible to the disease. And certainly if you get sick, get treatment early. That I think is far more powerful than shutting down all the restaurants in New York City right. and making people go bankrupt and then forcing people to congregate in their own homes where they could then spread the disease once again. Uh, so I, I really think relying, you know, that rugged individualism that we are so proud of as Americans uh, that's only going to work if you give people the right information. So rather than forcing people by law and, and, and the force of, of imprisonment, why not just simply empower them with the tools necessary to be safe 
and then leave it to them, particularly adults, to, to make the right decisions. I totally agree. And I love that when, when leaders face crisis, their role and their first responsibility is to inform the public of truth. It all comes back to truth as well. I kind of look back on your time with the COVID task force and in the White House. And I, I believe that Vice President Pence, President Trump, and the whole team really did an exceptional job in handling it. And where it's gotten now, or there's different forces. But if you look back, is there anything from a leadership perspective, do you think we should have done differently or better as leadership in the country? Um, well, uh, are, do you mean specifically with the pandemic or? Uh, yeah, I think specifically with the pandemic. Right. Uh, I think that um, we should have come together in a more bipartisan way. Because yeah. uh, I do think when I say that things got politicized, I think it affected both sides of the aisle. I think right. the Democrats, they would, you know, we were in campaign season. So you see uh, Vice President Biden, um, you know, in a drive in theater environment where he's wearing a mask and people are in cars. Um, I think that was not necessary. Uh, but then on the other hand, there were those who criticized uh, the Trump campaign for not uh, requiring some level of protection and security, uh, perhaps masks or whatever, when they were at those rallies. And so again, um, I, I would have liked to have seen, I think uh, leadership from both sides would have been to come to some agreement as to what are the proper techniques, what is the science on things, rely on the CDC, and to work together on that rather than beat each other over the head politically uh, in such ways as to score political points rather than keeping people healthy and safe. I, yeah, I totally agree. And I think as a country, we will look back on this time and wish and hope that we would have seized the opportunity to come together, both sides of the aisle, reaching across and saying, we are one out of many, one, we are Americans and we're going to defeat this enemy that's come across and into our land. Uh, well, Dr. Fleming, I want to ask you just one more question, not, not regarding the pandemic or crisis or anything like that, but as you look back on your career in the medical field, the economic development, the business platform, and now in government, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Looking back, you're at, you're at college. Is it the University of Mississippi? Is that where you went? Yes. What would you tell John Fleming, freshman at, a, at the University of Mississippi? I would tell him what I told myself at the same age, and that is to follow your heart. Follow your heart. Do what your heart has led you to do. Remember, at the beginning of our discussion, I said that at, at age 11, I made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. But I also uh, decided to embark upon a career in medicine. And that both of those were the right decisions, and they remain the right decisions. Now, did I go other pathways along the way? Yes, I did. See, that's the beauty of it is just because you choose to go one direction or another, whatever you decide to do, that doesn't mean that there aren't some stop offs on the way mm -hmm. that you can really enjoy and develop yourself as a person. Right. So uh, so uh, but uh, the one little reminder that I would tell all young people is while you're following your heart, let your heart lead you as to what path you take uh, in your future. Uh, don't forget that you have to support yourself 
and perhaps uh, others, you know, if you get married, have children or what have you. So don't just simply go into a field just because it's something you like to do. You're going to have to support yourself too. And whether you do that with one field selection or whether you do it with more than one, doesn't matter. But you need to be sure, you need to be practical because you don't want to get 10, 10 years down the road and having uh, spent a lot of time and a lot of money in one thing, only to find out that you don't have a sustainable career doing that. So that's the one word of caution I would make. But in the end, follow your heart, do what you're led to do. Yeah. Well, that's great advice. And I, I think it's so good to hear that because a lot of people will tell young people like, you can do anything. You, you can go do this, you can do that. And it's, and they end up saying like, it wasn't worth it at the end, but thank you for just that realistic advice saying, do what your heart is telling you you want to do, but also be realistic about your dreams and what's going to be able to provide for other people. But Dr. Fleming, thank you so much for your time. This has been such a blessing. Great. Zach, thank you. And it's been a blessing for me as well. Thanks. Thank you, and I uh, hope to talk to you again sometime in the future. Of course, I'd love to.